The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 16. We're going to look at verses 28 to 33. Are you at peace? We look for peace in a variety of things. In our income, our comforts, our families. And these may last for a time, maybe even years, maybe, maybe even the majority of your lifetime. But when the foundations of our hopes and dreams are false confidences, and they begin to crumble, so will our peace. Jesus will not crumble. And I want to point you to him this morning. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we live in a, in a different world, a world that has changed dramatically over the last few years, a world that for us may never be what we thought it would be. And so for many here this morning, there is a need for peace. Some have lost loved ones. Some see sickness and death. Some are frustrated over the loss of freedom. Some are living in fear. Fear over COVID. Fear over the loss of a job or the threat of this. Fear over income. Fear concerning our children and uh, grandchildren. Lord, we need your peace. We we need the Prince of Peace. So please, we pray, open our eyes to the far surpassing greatness of Jesus. That no matter what we face, that we will know that he is enough. That he is our peace now and forever. We pray in his great name. Amen. Well, assuring the disciples of the Father's love for them, Jesus continues, and let's pick it up at verse 28. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. And will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Wow. Great passage of God's word. Jesus senses, I think, a bit 
um, overconfidence in these disciples. He knows that, yes, they believe, but he also knows that they don't understand what's coming and what they're going to face soon. We get a sense of of their overconfidence in verse 29. Ah, now you are speaking plainly. Oh, yes, Jesus, now we see. Now, Now you've answered our unasked question. Yes, we believe. And don't get me wrong, they did believe. But there's so much more for them to believe. Truths that that they would eventually see when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. Okay, now I'm not sure this is a good example or illustration, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it involves my grandson, Brady. Um, A few weeks ago, I was over at Jake and Brenna's house doing kind of the dad thing, the thing that my dad would do for me and just kind of helping with stuff. And I I was replacing their their kitchen faucet. And um, something that we've noticed about Brady over the years, just, I mean, he's only two. And um, whenever I'm working on something and have tools out, he's just fascinated. It's a boy thing. Tools just intrigue him. And it's very cool. And so I thought, hmm, I'm working on this. Um, this is hard for me because I just like to get projects done, but this will be fun. I, you know, Brady, um, well, first of all, because of his love for tools, Jen and I, Jen found this little, for his birthday, this little toy tool set. Really just thinking, you know, he, that he would love it. And so I thought I'd have Brady help me, uh, with this project of replacing the faucet. So I said, hey, Brady, grab your tools. Come on over and help Papa. And so Brady gets his toy drill, which I have to say is very cool. It it functions like it, it has the trigger. It has the same location, switch for reverse and forward, little plastic bits. It works. It You can unscrew, well, toy stuff. And uh, so he grabs that and comes over, and, and I'm, you know, I'm under the sink where I should be. And the pipes are exposed, and Brady grabs his drill, and he comes over, and he just starts drilling on the pipes and uh, helping me. And, and it was awesome, and I loved it. Um, so here I am. I'm under the sink with Brady. He's helping me. He believes some right things here. We need tools to do the job and we need to be under the sink to do it. So he believes some some right things, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I wonder if Jesus hears these disciples in their confident confession of belief and maybe with a, a little smile thinks, oh, that's kind of cute. Now, he wouldn't say cute. Our Savior wouldn't say cute. Maybe with kittens. But you know what I mean? That he's just like, yeah, you believe, and that's great. But you have no idea what's ahead of you. 
but they will. Jesus knows, but they will, and I'll be with them. And I'll send them the Holy Spirit to be their help. They need the tool of belief because belief or faith will help them know the truth about Jesus. And when we know and when we grow in our understanding of Jesus, we know and we have a certain confidence, confidence that's actually real, which leads to having peace. And they're going to need peace. And you and I need peace. So yes, these disciples, they, they truly believe. And his statement in verse 28 evidently answered some unasked question of theirs related to his coming from the Father. But there's so much more that this 28th verse says. We read it and pass by it and think it's very, it's very basic. It's a very basic um, statement that Jesus makes. Very simple and obvious. But in the, there's four statements here in verse 28. Um, there's four statements that every Christian must believe that we find here. So this morning, I want to look at these four truths, but not for the sake of of mere theology, not for the sake of, of being orthodox in our right beliefs, but ultimately for the sake for the sake of peace. I want you to have peace in the midst of your current storm. I want you to to look to Jesus. Even though maybe you've lost your job, maybe you've recently gone through a divorce, or you're in the midst of sickness, overwhelmed with circumstances related to COVID, I want us to see that Jesus truly understands. He understands our sufferings. He understands the trials that we face. And that because he has overcome, you, I, can have peace. And this isn't to say that the circumstances... Uh, just going to vaporize. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to disappear or right itself. But knowing Jesus, having a growing relationship with him, understanding his goodness and sovereign control over all things, this will assure you that he truly is our only lasting and real peace. He is relevant. <laughs> he is relevant to your situation. We, we can be overconfident in ourselves, in our abilities and what we think we know, but Jesus, he is inexhaustible. He is an inexhaustible source of peace. And any amount of confidence that we have in him is surely not enough. Is surely... Surely we should have much more than we actually do. He's already done it. The world brings all sorts of fears and turmoil, but Jesus has already overcome the world. And he makes promises. He actually makes promises to us, uh, and he can keep them. So as simple as verse 28 seems, let's think more deeply about 
four statements that Jesus makes and the belief that we should have in him for the sake of peace. First, Jesus said, I came from the Father. Sounds simple. Um, A lot of people recognize this in Jesus, but probably only thought of it as a, a statement concerning him being the Messiah. Think of Nicodemus in John 3 who said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And the people who witnessed Jesus' miracle where he multiplied the loaves and fish, they said, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And then, thinking in messianic terms, they tried to make him king. But think of Martha's confession in John 11. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha includes the phrase Son of God, which means that he's not just some special servant of God, but that he he was with God from all eternity, that he was God. Or is God. And the Apostle John, um, over some time, eventually understood this truth. And we know it because how does he begin his gospel? He begins his gospel saying, In the beginning was the Word. Speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the Son of And saying that he came from the Father means that he existed. He existed before his human birth. He was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. And likely these disciples didn't understand this until later. Later when the Holy Spirit caused them to to remember some of Jesus' own words about his pre-existence when he said things like, before Abraham was, I am. Or when he said, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Or I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then in our next chapter, John 17, he says, probably the most clear statement he ever made concerning his pre-existence. He's praying to the Father and he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So yes, you can simply believe that Jesus came from the Father, but What does it mean? It means that he didn't simply come from Mary. It means that he existed before his human birth. It means that he is the eternal God who gloriously existed with the Father in eternity before the world was even made. And this realization should give you tremendous peace. Why? Well, because you get to know him. 
you, you actually get to know him. You get to hear from him in his word. You get to pray to him. You get to worship him and depend upon him. The almighty one is actually your friend. He sees your circumstances. He, he knows your hurt. He cares for you and promises goodness and joy and peace for you. Your future is secure in him. This is an essential that we must believe. And oh, how wonderful it is to embrace this truth because it, it makes all the difference in how we live and how, how we respond to the circumstances of life. In verse 28, Jesus, the second statement he makes is, I have come into the world. I have come into the world. Again, seems like a simple statement, right? But the implication is the incarnation. Yes, Jesus was sent from the Father, but he also came into the world. And the emphasis being made is that it was voluntary. There's a voluntary nature of his incarnation. Now think of it. Um, Did God, the Son, have to be born? Couldn't he have, uh, Star Trek style, just beamed down? Why not? If he beamed down, you know, why not avoid the humility of, of needing to be cleaned and fed? Why not avoid having to learn how to speak, how to read? God is God. He, can, he, can, he could have chosen another way, but he voluntarily chose to come into the world through a virgin birth. A virgin birth that speaks of his two natures, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the virgin womb of Mary. Jesus Jesus was born because he wanted to be born, which is not something any of us can say about our experience. Truly God and truly man. Pre-existent and born of a woman. And there are two reasons his true humanity is essential to our faith. First is that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. All of those Old Testament sacrifices for sin, they didn't ultimately reconcile anyone to God because ultimately it's man's sin and man that must pay for his sin. We were guilty We're guilty. Why? We're guilty because of our first human representative, Adam. He sinned. So we're guilty of sin. And then we prove the effect of his sin as we're all born into sin and we all sin. It's a human problem. And so a human must pay. And if Jesus were not truly human, if he was just some beamed down version that looked human, then he could not truly be human. And he could not be our substitute. And his death would not atone 
and you'd be left in the guilt of your sin. Wow. The depths of his love. That he would choose to be born. And because of this, he, he knows. He experienced human weakness. His miracles were done as a man, a man in close communion with the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Jesus didn't cheat. He really was sinless in his humanity. He really did get tired. He really did need food and sleep. He really did need to pray and read God's word. He knows. He knows. He's it's amazing. He's sympathetic to you. He's our sympathetic high priest who knows temptation without sin. The humanity of Jesus is essential because if not, then he could not be your representative. He could not stand in your place. He could not pay the penalty that belongs to you. Another reason the the incarnation is essential is that this is the only way that we can truly know God. Jesus came to reveal God to us. God who is who is, who is high and holy, who is transcendent, who is majestic, beyond our knowing, who are we? Yet he graciously condescends. He, he stoops so that we might understand him. It's kind of like you um, communicating with a baby or a small child. How do you speak to them? You speak in noises and baby talk. You stoop. You condescend to their level in order to let them know that you love them, that you want to have a relationship with them, so they'll know you. And really, this kind of humbling is is nothing compared to the way in which God stoops and condescends to us. Incredible. That God would stoop so low for the sake of love, for the sake of understanding us experientially. And so when he offers us peace, he really knows our need of peace. He experienced it. Back to verse 28. A third statement that Jesus makes is, and now I am leaving the world. Just as he voluntarily came into the world... Now he voluntarily leaves by way of the cross. Jesus, he is in absolute control. He controls the how and the when of his leaving. We, as Christians, do not follow a victim of crucifixion. We follow the one who came for the purpose of willingly and joyfully dying for his own. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. If Jesus, if he he just left apart from the cross, then your guilt would remain. The New Testament teaches us that the way of the cross removes the guilt of sin. It enables God to justly 
forgive us. When Jesus says, I'm leaving, he knows that there is a joy set before him, that he will endure the cross for you, for me. So there's nothing nothing really more significant than that. We do not simply know this truth and then, and then move on from it. No, life, the cross is your life. We sing of the cross. We glory in the cross. Our salvation is because of the cross. Psalm 103 sings, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The last essential statement of verse 28 is heard in the words, I am going to the Father. The resurrection from the grave speaks to God's acceptance of the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. And so if he did not ascend back into heaven to the Father, then he would remain in the grave and our faith would be worthless. It would be in vain. We would be fools to follow someone who only died. Someone who you know, maybe is just a, a good example and didn't come back to life and go to the Father. And there's peace. Peace. To know that Jesus is at the Father's right hand, giving blessings to us, interceding in prayer for us. So these are the plain facts of verse 28. Jesus came from heaven. He is truly God. He came to earth. He is truly man. He left the world willingly dying on the cross, and he returned to the Father. So we have a living, a living hope. And there's something basic and simple that these disciples heard in this statement, and likewise, there's something beautiful about just a simple acceptance of the gospel that a child can know. And like Brady getting under the sink with his tools, these disciples think, we got this. Now we believe. And Jesus, he's glad for their belief, but he knows that there's, there's a lot more that they'll need to know as their belief is going to get challenged. It looks like they have the right tools, but they're not sufficient. And Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is going to give them what they need. And so he tells them a little of the reality to come. He says, behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. It's a, it's a challenge to believe Jesus in the world. And these disciples underestimated the, the weakness of the flesh and the, the power of Satan's afflictions and how vulnerable they would be to to the trials to come. I, I was listening to a, a podcast the other week and heard Kevin DeYoung give this description that just rang true. He said, um, it used to be for most of the history in this country that to be a Christian was a net positive. It was good for your social standing. You're well thought of. 
made it easy for people to want to be a Christian. Then Christianity moved to a net neutral, where we said, okay, well, as long as I do my job and I'm tolerant of other viewpoints and I show that I can do the best work possible, I can, I can deal with this. I can still rise to the top. I just, I just have to res- be respectful of others and their disagreements and show that I can do the work as good as anyone else. But the days of Christianity being a net cultural positive or even a net neutral, he says, are gone in many places. We need to be prepared to have a Christianity with a cost. And there's a reason to be fearful, he says, but he he says not in a quivering sort of way, but fearful of many things that are changing rapidly in our culture. So maybe we're, maybe we're a little like these disciples, as we tend to expect our, our culture to be maybe at least neutral toward us, at least maybe indifferent and in just letting us believe what we want to believe. We believe and we have certain simple expectations, and Jesus says, do you believe? Do you now believe? You think this is it? Well, an hour is coming. And if this is true, how, how will we respond? Will we recognize the dangers of being overconfident in our abilities and humbly pray to be delivered from temptation? Will we see the need to abide in Christ through his word and through prayer and just prioritizing that? Will we Will we value the means of grace that's given to us and being committed to that, not forsaking being together as a part of his body? We need to be together. We need to encourage one another to believe and to walk with Jesus for the sake of peace. And if a person says that that they love Jesus but is knowingly walking in sin, and ignoring those who warn him. This is a kind of scattering that Jesus speaks of. A scattering away, from ultimately, from Jesus. We need each other. We need to connect. We need to grow. We need to humbly serve one another. Connect. You know, this is... It's not the, it's not the food each month. Except when Jeff makes it. Then it's really about the food. But no, it's about connecting. Once a month, getting together over a meal. Um, opportunities for you to, to connect at different church events or home groups or small groups. Growing together in, in those situations. Bible studies and reading programs and being mindful that it's really good just to, to get together with another person over coffee or whatever and think along the lines of, how can I invest in this person? Can I be a mentor to this person? Could someone be a mentor to me? It's just another word for discipleship. And then taking our belief and doing something with it, serving, simple things. Many of you are so great about taking a meal to someone. That's a a wonderful encouragement 
concerning the body of Christ. And it points us to Jesus. Raking someone's leaves who can't do it. Helping with a, a local Christian ministry. There's so many good ones um, that we would recommend. The Medford Gospel Mission. The Pregnancy Center. Wilderness Trails. Helping Hands International. Hearts with a Mission. There's a lot of really good ways for us to serve. So Jesus said that these disciples would scatter and leave him alone. And we don't want to scatter. We don't want to isolate and think that our toy tool is enough. Enough for the days ahead. Hebrews 2 tells us that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So don't, the temptation that I think we have, especially over many years of being a Christian, is just to take so much for granted. Don't take your faith for granted. Don't assume that just because you've believed for so many years that you're good. We need to be all the more diligent and not neglect to pray, to be in God's word to be together as a church family. Jesus warns his disciples about scattering, about rejecting him. And there are a lot of things that can work to scatter or divide us. But the answer, the remedy, always comes back to Jesus. Are we growing in our love for Jesus? Are we seeing him more and more as the conquering hero? Do we want to live in a way that that honors him? The more that we are centered on Jesus, the more we'll avoid being scattered. And here's what's um, so beautiful about our faith. Even though these disciples did scatter and did abandon him and Peter renounces him, Jesus, he is always faithful. He is faithful to his own Our hope is not in us and our abilities. Our hope is always in Jesus and his faithfulness. It's not us. It's not by our efforts as we think we might achieve something. But Jesus, no, he he is the hero. We're saved by Christ alone through the gift of faith alone. Because of Jesus, we are never... Let this give you peace. Because of Jesus, we are never truly alone. In James, we're encouraged, draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Jesus tells these disciples the truth of what's to come, as shocking as it will be. He wants them to remember that he's prophesied this. He knew their fearful reactions. He reassures them of his faithfulness, even though they will be faithless. And in verse 33, we read that the reason Jesus tells them all of these things is to give them the blessing of peace. What a contrast. In the world, you will have tribulation, but in me, you will have peace. Jesus offers you peace. But he gives two qualifications for this peace. First, Jesus says this peace is in me. Are you restless 
If so, you may be looking for peace in something or someone who can't deliver it, who can't give you peace. Our peace is not in our income. It's not in our education, our career, our retirement plan. It's not in our health. Masks and vaccines and government mandates may give some people a sense of safety, but they can't give you peace. Peace is not in your spouse. It's not in a hope for a spouse. It's not in your family. It's not in your friends. And it's certainly not in Oregon sports teams. Ever. I've learned that over the years. No, the the peace of every believer is only in Christ. He is our rock. He is our place of refuge, our security. Because of Jesus, we have peace with God, knowing that our sins are forgiven. And because of this, we experience not only peace with God, but the peace of God, as the Holy Spirit assures us. And as we're told to pray with thanksgiving letting our requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, man, we live in a day of fear and of blaming other people for our fear. Your peace does not depend upon people conforming to your opinions. It's only in Christ. And Jesus tells us to follow him, to obey him, to humbly serve and love and to forgive one another, and to bear with one another. If your heart is restless, know that peace begins with that initial turning to Jesus in saving faith. And then know that There is an ongoing peace as we give our hearts to him day by day, knowing that that he is the Prince of Peace. As believers, we must continually look to Christ and depend on Christ and stay close to him. And in doing so, we will bear fruit for his glory, one of them being peace. Another qualification for this peace is that it comes in his teachings. All throughout this farewell discourse, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. And now, now he says that the reason for these teachings is that they may have peace. Look again at verse 33. I have said these things. I have taught what I've taught so that you may have peace. All of these teachings apply to us as well. Jesus taught of his loving care that he will not abandon us. He he taught that he's preparing a place for us, that he's giving us a helper, that we have access to the Father in prayer. God, Jesus taught these things so that we might know and believe and have peace. Unbeliever, there's peace for you. If you turn from your sin and look to Jesus, trusting him as the Prince of Peace. And believer, if you're not at peace, stop blaming other people. Stop blaming the circumstances around you. Jesus never said that these would give you peace. 
In fact, he promises his peace in spite of or in the midst of any and every circumstance. And then he's actually ordaining them for your good. Have peace in that kind of sovereign love and control. You really can't control your circumstances. But you can follow after the one who does. Your peace is in him. And if we lack peace, it seems the only remedy is to commune with him. To love praying to him. Asking God to open our eyes to glorious and wonderful and joyful truths in his word. To connect and grow and serve as a part of his body. Jesus tells us to not be afraid. Why? Because the opposite of fear is peace. And in him, we have peace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we live in troubled times. And many of our people... Here, many of your people are in the midst of trials and sufferings. So we pray for their peace. We pray for help. We pray for relief. We pray for healing and change of circumstances. But even more so, Lord, hide us in the cleft of the rock. Be our strength, our shelter. Be that ever-present help in time of need. Give us eyes to see the reality and the significance of your greatness so that we might be overwhelmed with you instead of overwhelmed with seemingly big issues of our day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is truly God and truly man. Thank you for his sacrificial death and that he overcame the world by his resurrection. Thank you for the gifts of prayer and your word and your church. Help us to make a priority of these in our pursuit of Jesus, our Prince of Peace. We pray in his great name. Amen.